You may be seated. Just want to take this time to excuse the kids to go with teacher Jamie. Well, when, what or what was the best promise or maybe among the best promises that was ever made to you and then actually kept? Now, putting aside for me, like Jesus, who gave, you know, his his life for me in exchange for salvation and for transformation and wholeness, putting aside my marriage and my wife, who I've been married to for 15 years. Uh, yeah, I know, I look so young. But, uh, <laughs> no. but putting aside some of those, those big things, something that I was thinking about this week was actually from my childhood. And it, it might not seem that big to you, but as a kid, it was one of the biggest promises that was kept to me that I just couldn't believe. And it was all the family vacations that my parents said that we were going to go on and that we actually went on them. And these weren't just like little trips, like to the beach or whatnot, but starting out age two, we went to Maui. Now, I don't really remember Maui. I was two years old. I remember a pool. I remember a luau. And I remember a pretty little girl that's about it. (laughs) That's all I remember in my two-year-old mind. And then I remember that we took a lot of these other trips, like we went to Orlando, Florida, uh, to Disney World. We went to Edmonton, Canada, at that time the world's largest mall. Uh, We went to Las Vegas, Nevada, went to the MGM Grand, saw shows, ate food, went to Circus Circus. And we had this car trip that we went to San Francisco, and then we went to Disneyland, and then we went down to San Diego, and I just couldn't believe how amazing each of these trips were, and that not only did my parents say that we were going to go on these trips, but that we actually went on them. Now, looking back, I now know that we weren't made of gold, and we didn't have any family inheritances, but my parents, they made it a priority for us to have these trips and for us to set aside money every single month so that at the end of those three years, we'd be able to go on one of these trips. And it was a priority because they wanted us to be able to experience these fun things together as a family and also be able to make memories together as a family. But I still could not believe that these trips were taking place and that we actually took them. Now, how about you? Has there ever been a time in your life or maybe in your childhood where you too had a promise that was made to you and then it was actually kept? And after all, a promise is not a promise unless it's kept. And so this morning, as you're kind of thinking maybe about that question a little bit, I just want to let you know we're in a series this summer called Voices from the Past, Minor Prophets with a Modern Message. And each week we've been learning about each of these Old Testament minor prophets and what they said to the people of their day, but then also how that can translate and how we can apply that into our lives as well. And today we're in the book of Zechariah. And may I say very close to the end, we actually have today and then 
Malachi being next Sunday. And this morning, we're actually talking about that theme of promises. And we're going to see this many times in the book of Zechariah. So go ahead and open your Bible to the book of Zechariah, the second to last book of the Old Testament. Now, this minor prophet, Zechariah, takes place after the exile. So a quick recap for you. The Isra- or Israel, God's chosen people, are promised the promised land, hence its name, promised land, and they get this land. And God says that as long as they live upright and as long as they obey the law, that they would be prosperous in this nation. Now, fast forward many years, many kings, Israel does not, we come to find that they did not uphold their end of the bargain. So God sends many prophets to them to tell them, return to me, come back to me, or you will be taken into exile. You will be overtaken by an enemy nation, and you will go into their land to be ruled over by them. And after many tries with no success, God sends Israel into exile, but he promises them that they would be able to be brought back to the promised land once more. Now, after the Israelites had been in captivity for 70 plus years, they were finally given the opportunity to come back. This takes place by the approval of Cyrus, the king of Persia, and this takes place in 538 or 537 BC. And things went okay for a while, but then from the sounds of Zechariah chapter 1, which probably took place around 520 BC or about 17 years after they came back from exile, we see that the people were back in Jerusalem again, but they weren't doing a very good job of following God's laws. They were falling back into old patterns and They were doing just like they did before exile. The Israelites had been zealous for following God when they had first come back from exile, but then it faded and the the building of the temple took a long halt. And this is why Zechariah writes. He writes to rebuke, to motivate, to encourage the people to continue rebuilding and, and to finish the temple. And good news is that we see from the end of chapter 1 in Zechariah is that they actually did come back to the Lord, that they did repent, and in essence, they turned back to God. And we see that in 516 BC that the temple was actually finished and rebuilt. So this is the backdrop, but let's also take some time really quickly to answer the question, who's Zechariah? So Zechariah was a priest from the family of Edo. And you see this in Zechariah chapter 1, verse 1. It's the first verse in Zechariah. And Edo was Zechariah's grandfather. And we see this from an earlier book in the Bible. If you were to go to Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 16, you'd see that this Zechariah, the same Zechariah came back to Jerusalem from exile, along with the more famous governor, Zerubbabel, and priest, Jeshua, as well as a lot of other priests that are named 
and that came back at the same time. So Zechariah was, he was actually pretty young and most likely took the place of his father as priest because his father died at a young age. But this Zechariah that we're going to be reading today also went on to prophesy many passages that we now look back as predicting the Messiah. And so we don't have a lot of time to look over all 14 chapters of Zechariah, but here's a brief outline for you of Zechariah. And it's actually from my NIV study note. And just a quick side note, if you don't have a study Bible, it's actually something that's really, it's well worth your purchase because there is just so much in it from footnotes at the bottom just be, and being able to, or commentary in the bottom, being able to look at what am I reading and, and commentators can actually comment on that too. Footnotes and, and cross-references in, in, the, in the sides of, of your Bible that you can go look up other passages to maps to a concordance with all different kinds of places to look up certain words and, and there's backgrounds on each book of the Bible so you, can, you know what you're reading. But in my study Bible, there was kind of this basic outline that said chapters one through six is a, basically a foretelling of eight visions that Zechariah had in one night. And then there's the a symbolic crowning of Joshua, the high priest, also in chapter six. And then there's the problem of fasting as well as the promise of the future, uh, or the problem of fasting and then the promise of the future in chapters 7 and 8. And then there's two prophetic oracles or messages that make up the remainder of Zechariah, chapters 9 through 14. The first oracle or message is found in chapters 9 through 11, and it's the coming and the rejection of the Messiah. And then the second oracle or message is the coming and the reception of the Messiah in chapters 12 through 14. And there's actually, scholars will actually debate whether Zechariah wrote these last two oracles because of its change in language and style. But it could also be that Zechariah wrote these two oracles, wrote these two messages later in his lifetime. And that also that the parts, a lot of the parts of chapters 9 through 14, especially chapter 9 verse 13, were meant to be seen as prophecy as what, of what was to come. So one other thing worth mentioning is that Zechariah's name means the Lord remembers. His name means the Lord remembers, which is really good. It actually goes along really well with today's theme of promises. Now, we could spend so much time talking about each of these eight visions that Zechariah had in this first six chapters. We could take so many times talking about all the connections that he says to the Messiah that, that Zechariah talks about. And we'd be here all day. But as I was reading through this minor prophet, as I was praying about what I thought would be good for, to share today, I felt like God brought to my attention, uh, I couldn't help but notice all of the promises that Zechariah speaks about and that God gives to his people in this book and all the ways that the Lord remembers his people. And what I'm believing that we're going to see today is that our God, the God of the Bible, is indeed a promise-giving God as well as a promise 
keeping God, that the Lord indeed remembers his covenant promises and is also proactive in bringing them to pass for his people when they come to him. And this morning, we're going to look quickly at a few of these promises that are talked about in the book of Zechariah. So uh, these promises, they're probably fulfilled in the day and the time that Zechariah wrote. But many times, as we see in Bible prophecies, there is a, a greater fulfillment of these prophecies that the coming Messiah would bring about. And so just so you know, the Messiah was someone that the Jews had been waiting for for a long time. They knew that this Messiah would do the will of the Father and that through him, through this Messiah, Israel would be redeemed and restored. So living, living 2,500 years later, we have the privilege of knowing that this Messiah was indeed Jesus Christ. In fact, it, he's talked about all throughout the New Testament pages of the Bible. So all and all the promises that we're going to be reading this morning find their fulfillment in him. But this first promise that we're going to read about comes from Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. And it comes during the third vision of the eight visions. So let me read it for you right now. Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. It says, Shout and be glad, daughter Zion, for I am coming and I will live among you declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day and will become my people. I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Now, this promise is that he is coming and will live among his people and that many nations will become God's people. Basically, that all people would be his people. And in the New Testament, we see the fulfillment of this promise as Jesus lived among them. We see that all throughout the Gospels um, in the beginning of Acts that Jesus, he lived among them. But we know that Jesus was not with them forever. But it does say in John chapter 14, verses 15 through 18, by Jesus himself, that if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So not only did Jesus come and live among us? But also, he said that, and he did, send his Holy Spirit, his power and his presence to be with us forever. The Holy Spirit first comes in Acts chapter 2. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it bring, these verses bring more clarity to all of this, that we are God's temple and that the Holy Spirit lives in us. It says, don't you know, <clears throat> this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? 
If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. In the Old Testament, God's presence dwelled in the temple. But once Jesus came and made us clean by forgiving our sin and our wrongdoing, we now become that temple. The temple was in a building in the Old Testament, but now when Jesus comes and forgives us of our sin and places his Holy Spirit in us, we now become that temple and that place where his spirit dwells. God no longer resides in a building, but he lives in us. If we believe in him, if we ask him to forgive us. And so there it is. You have the first promise of this this part that's fulfilled. The second promise is the promise in this verse is that many nations will become God's people. In fact, all people. And we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that Jesus speaks this statement to his disciples right before he sends the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2. And here's the statement. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we just think many times that this verse means that we're going to be God's witnesses to the ends of the earth. But this verse would have been more of a light bulb moment for Jesus' disciples, as well as the Israelites, that the gospel was for all people when he said, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. That yes, the gospel was for the Jews, but it was for everyone else too. It was for the Gentiles. It was for all people. Just as it was predicted all the way back here in Zechariah chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. And that, this is also confirmed if you read more. And I, I, I would ask you to do that. All of these verses that I'm talking about this morning are also in your outline in the further passages, so don't feel like you're going to miss them, but Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 18, as well as Acts chapter 15 through verses 7 through 9, uh, talk all about how Jesus was saying the gospel is for all people, Jew and Gentile. And there's many other New Testament Bible passages that support this promise. You can look them up later too, but Romans 3, 29 Romans 9, 24 through 10, 13, John 10, 16, Colossians 3, 11, Galatians 3, 28. Christ is for all. And when I first realized what these verses and what this promise meant as a kid, um, I didn't like it very much. <laughs> uh, it didn't sit very well with me because you're meaning to tell me that the people who have purposely killed many people uh, are worthy to be forgiven and accepted by Jesus, or that the men and women that have abused many children are to be accepted by Jesus, or the people that have stolen or dishonestly gained millions of dollars off, off of people are to be accepted by God. I didn't like the fact as a, as a kid that Jesus was a God for all. But it dawned on me, eventually, that unless Jesus came and died on the cross for all, 
I wouldn't have been worthy of eternal life either because I had sinned and I had fallen short of God's glory too. And it took some time, but God, God changed my heart to see that although none of us deserve God's free gift of heaven, if Jesus died for them, then I should start loving them too. And God has time and time again helped giving me eyes to see people the way that he sees them. And that it's not them that I'm seeing, but sin in them that I'm seeing. And that God still wants to redeem them. And that's what he did by sending his son, Jesus. Now, this, this second promise, we're going to move on because uh, there's a lot of good stuff this morning. The second promise that we're going to look at this morning is Zechariah chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. And it's a part of the forced vision. And it says, listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone. And I will engrave an inscription on it, says the Lord Almighty. And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day. So God's servant, the branch, will come who we know is Jesus, and God will remove the sin of this land in a single day. Now see Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6 for more context. But in the Old Testament, the branch was symbolic for the coming Messiah. And the Jews had been awaiting for this Messiah for many centuries. And in order for this emphasis to be made known that this word branch is actually capitalized some six times in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, we see this promise fulfilled in Jesus, but we also see this promise fulfilled in us. You see, first, it being fulfilled in Jesus, in John chapter 1, verses 41, Andrew goes to his brother Simon and they, Simon and Andrew both end up becoming Jesus' disciples. And he says to his brother, we have found the Messiah. And then in John chapter 4, verses 25 and 26, Jesus reveals his true identity, that he really is the Messiah to a woman that he's talking to at a well. But what's even more special is not just that Jesus is the branch and the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesies about, but that Jesus' plan all along was for us to become branches too. Take that in for a second. John 15, 1 through 8. In the New Testament, we become branches and Jesus the vine. We are meant to play a role and actually be a part of fulfilling God's promise, helping redeem and restore the world. It's pretty incredible. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, we see the second part of this promise, that, the, that this Messiah, Jesus, would remove the sin of the land in a single day. 
And in 1 Peter chapter 2, 24, it emphasizes that Jesus died for our sin. If we read it, it says, He alone bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. So you can also read the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which emphasize the one day, that in one day, Jesus forgave all sin through his death on the cross just over 2,000 years ago. Now, we're going to keep moving because there's, like I said, there's a lot of good promises this morning. This third promise is found in the section in Zechariah about the symbolic crowning of Joshua, the high priest, in Zechariah chapter 6, verses 12 and 13. Follow along as I read. Zechariah chapter 6, starting in verse 12. Tell him this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from this place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne. And he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. So he will build the temple of the Lord and his people, as we saw this uh, through his Holy Spirit back in 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. We are that temple, and he will be the priest on his throne. If you read the book of Hebrews, especially Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 15, Hebrews 7, 11 through chapter 8, 13, you'll see how this Jesus that we're talking about this morning really is our great high priest. If you've never re read the book of Hebrews before, it's an amazing book that talks about how Jesus really is our high priest. But what is a high priest? What was the high priest's job back in that time other than the one who administered the sacrifices for the people's sins and also made sure that the people were upholding the law of the Lord. Jesus accomplished both of these things through his death and through his resurrection. And therefore, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 states that God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place, giving him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a great day it's going to be one day when we are with Jesus, our high priest and king in heaven. I want to read to you really quickly from Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 through 12. It says, after this, this is taking place in heaven. It says, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne 
and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Man, what a great day it's going to be one day when we get to be with Jesus, our high priest in heaven. Now in Zechariah chapter 9 and 10, we have uh, these two last promises that we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, it's in the fir- Both of these take place in the first oracle or that first message. And the first one is in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 11. And it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, right, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And then it says, as, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set free your prisoners from the waterless pit. It says in here, the promise is your king will come to you righteous and having salvation, riding on a donkey, and I will take away the war horses and the chariots, and I will proclaim peace to the nations because of the blood of his covenant. He will set the prisoners free. And Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, fulfills this, this Jesus riding on a donkey. And this meant when Jesus came and he rode a donkey in on in to Jerusalem, it was that he was coming, it was saying he was coming peacefully and with salvation and not bent on conquest, just like it says here in Zechariah that he would, which was different than what they expected. Also in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 21, it says that Jesus came to set the prisoners free. Our last promise, chapter 10, verse 4, says that, and we, there's more promises in here. This is just a sampling but from Judah will come the cornerstone. This is chapter 10, verse 4. From him, the tent peg. From him, the battle bow. From him, every ruler. From Judah, it says, will come the cornerstone. We know that Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. And we know from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, that as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in the scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a precious and chosen cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. When we build our life on Jesus, on the cornerstone, and trust in him, we will never be put to shame. God is still in the business of promise keeping today. 
He didn't just do it in the Old Testament. He actually proclaims many promises in the New Testament too. Now here's just a few. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 29. It says, the promises come to him and you will find rest. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, the promises find peace when we bring our anxieties to him. James chapter 1, verse 5, ask God for wisdom and he will give it to us when we believe and don't doubt. James chapter 4, verse 7, submit yourself to God. Here's the promise, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins to God, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I'm sure we all know the promise of John 3, 16, that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son eternal life for whoever believes in him. James chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, the prayers of faith and of the righteous prayed to God will be answered and healing given. And last, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, don't worry, but seek God first and he will provide for all of your needs. Now, again, this is just a sampling of promises from the New Testament. And I don't know if you caught it, but all of these promises come from God. And all of these promises come about as we go to God and him alone. The starting point of all of these promises becoming a reality is going to God. The starting point of all of these promises becoming a reality is going to God. What do you need from God right now? Go to him about it. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, words spoken by Jesus himself, which of you, if his son or daughter asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if they ask for fish, will give him a snake? You then, though you are evil, because we're all evil, we've all sinned, know how to give good gifts to your children. All of you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Worship team, you can come forward. I could, I could name a ton of examples of things that we could come before God for and ask him for that we're in need for, but you already know what that need is. You already know what that need is. And so we're going to go to God this morning during this next song or two, and we're going to cling to his promises in faith as we do so. That he will fulfill his promises to us in our time of need. So take time during this next song to go to him, to ask for his help in your time of need. Let's pray. God, thank you that you are a promise-giving and a promise-keeping God. Thank you so much for not just 
saying that you were going to send the Messiah to redeem us and restore us, but that you actually did. <laughs> Just like my parents said all those years ago, we were going to go on those crazy vacations, and then we actually did. It was amazing. But as I've grown up, I realize it's nothing compared to what your son Jesus has done for us and for the promises that he and that you make to us. And not only make, but keep when we come to you. So Father, we come to you right now. We lift up our hearts to you and we ask that you would meet those needs with your promises.
God, you are faithful. Lord, if there's anyone this morning that is struggling, wanting to bury their hope, I pray, God, that you would just give them a firm foundation to stand on. God, you meet all our needs, and you are so good to us, Father. You give good gifts to your children, and Lord, you never, ever break your promise. So God, this morning, for those of us that are waiting, I pray that you'd strengthen our faith and help us to sing this last song with that faith, God, that you would build our hope up in you. In Jesus' name, all God's children say.
Amen. Really quickly before you go, uh, Pastor Steve, our senior pastor, just had something to share real quick that uh, we, he says, we keep Caring Bridge updated regularly. There are many dear folks who are suffering, and we are supporting, praying, and caring for them as the body of Christ. Thank you for doing this for Debbie and for all who are in the battle. And so he just says, if you or someone you love is suffering, please let us know. The connection card, call the office, and we'll walk alongside each other through your storm. So thanks for being with us this morning. I didn't, but we'll, but uh, we can, yeah, if you want to know the update, come talk to us. And is there anything else as we leave this morning? This is pray with us. Pray, pray, pray. All pray, day, pray, all pray. night, we pray. So, yeah. And go to the prayer room if you need prayer. Please come pray with us or let us pray for you. Uh, We love you so much. God bless you. Yeah.